Thanks, everybody. If you could grab your seats again. Very good. Welcome. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, my name's Brent, and I'm the pastor here until the end of the sermon. And then after that, not anymore. Today's my last day here at Outlook. It's been quite a ride, hasn't it? Four years, nearly four years. Uh, we've been through quite a bit together. And over that time, it's been my pleasure, uh, oftentimes it's been my burden, to share the Word of God with you. And so I was keen to, I guess, continue, finish how I started, and I hope you'll agree how I've continued over the last few years, which is looking at God's Word. I'm going to touch a little bit on the current season we're in, uh, because in God's providence, I think the text allows for that. But really, we're just continuing in our series in Acts. And so we're in Acts 21, verses 1 through 16. So I'm going to open with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump in and read it together. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word, which speaks to us in season, and we pray that uh, you would help us to have open and receptive hearts to what it is you're saying to us in our season at the moment, whether that's individually, whether that's corporately as your church, God, we want to do what it is that you would have us do. Help us to do that, we pray. God, might we become fully devoted followers of Christ, each and every one, and might your church here at Outlook continue to reach out to those who do not know you. God, we pray that you would be speaking to us. Help me, Lord, to get out of the way so that you can be seen and heard more clearly, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, let's read together. Acts 21, 1 to 16. Uh, it'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible there. It says, After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Cos. The next day we reached Rhodes and then went to Patara. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus passed it on our left and landed at a harbour of Tyre in Syria where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore, found the local believers and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we knelt prayed and said our farewells. Then we went aboard and they returned home. The next stop after leaving Tyre was Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who, had, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. And then he said, The Holy Spirit declares, So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But he said, Why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied us and, and 
they took us to the home of Manasin, a man originally from Cyprus and one of the early believers. All right, so Paul, he's been heading for Jerusalem and Rome for quite a while now. He's been doing so on the urging of the Holy Spirit. We read back in Acts 19, verse 21, said afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. Now, it's interesting because the biblical translators, the Bible translators actually hedge their bets a little bit here. They don't do this often, but they do in this verse. So that's how the NLT translated. It says, Paul was compelled by the Spirit. But then it has this asterisk which sends us to a little note at the bottom that says, or he decided in his Spirit. And so while the translators do believe... that that compelled by the Spirit, that is being the Holy Spirit, is the correct translation, they do note that Paul's own Spirit could be guiding him here as well. So why do they do that? Why do they hedge their bets? Well, firstly, um, because the Greek allows for it in its most simplistic sense, uh, and that happens quite a bit, but you have to look at the context as well to decide how these things ought to be translated. And so there must be some sense where the context suggests that this might be a valid translation as well, that it's included in a footnote, otherwise they wouldn't bother to include it. And I think the context that they come to contend with is context like what we read in the passage today. See, it seems that Paul heard from the Holy Spirit back in chapter 19 that he should go to Jerusalem and then on to Rome. But of course, in the passage today, there's a couple of uh, prophetic messages which seem to conflict with Paul's, uh, with that message that Paul had heard, one in particular. And so then that question becomes, is Paul's journey to Jerusalem and on to Rome, is that based on the Spirit, on the Holy Spirit, or is it based on his Spirit? Is it based on his own sense of things, on his own plans? And I think as we ask that question, that can feel a little bit disconcerting, can't it? Because we affirm the inerrancy of Scripture, and so the idea that there might be some sort of conflicting message here doesn't gel well with us. We don't like it. But in reality, I don't think we need to be afraid of uh, this particular, uh, what appears to be a conflict here, because I think, really I think it sums up what it is to live and to, to discern in Christian community. It sums up what it looks like to actually seek and hear the will of God within a community of faith. Because as much as we do talk often here at Outlook about wanting to hear from God, we say that uh, we want to be in tune with His Spirit. We want to be asking, what is it that God is saying and what are, we, what are we going to do about it? But the reality is that's not always a straightforward process. You know, there's a sense where that can be problematic. I think it's problematic, in fact, for anybody to claim absolute certainty about what it is the Spirit's saying to them. And the translators seem to suggest, in my mind at least, even in Paul's case, that there, was, there could be a question mark around whether this was the Spirit or whether this was His Spirit speaking. Now, of course, we hear from God most definitively through the Bible, through the Scriptures. But when it comes to hearing from the Spirit, things can get a little muddier, hey? And, of course, that's true in the situation we find ourselves in as a church as well. I'm finishing up today because I'm... Uh, experiencing burnout. But in some sense, I believe that the Holy Spirit is leading me to finish up as well. Like, I don't think I'm being disobedient in the decision that I'm making. It's a decision that I came to after much prayer 
and discernment. But decisions like these, like the one that Paul makes, and to some degree like the one that I make, they're not always straightforward. It's not always straightforward when you're doing that in community. What I mean is we don't always agree about what it is the Spirit is actually saying. And so for Paul, as he arrived in Ptolemais, it must have been somewhat challenging, disconcerting for him. Because the believers in these places, they don't seem to agree with what he has heard from the Spirit. So first of all, we read in verse 4, we went ashore, found the local believers and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. And we're going to look at them just together uh, for compare and contrast. And so then again in verse 11, Agabus, who's uh, gifted with prophecy, uh, we're told, he mimes this prophetic message in sort of Old Testament prophet styling. He ties his hands together with Paul's belt and he says, The Holy Spirit declares, So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. And so with these three verses in mind, I think we've got an example of the challenge that can be involved in discerning God's will together. We've got Acts 19.21, where Paul is said to be led by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. But then we have Acts 21.4, where it's said to be prophesied through the Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. And then Acts 21 verse 11 tells us the Holy Spirit declares that Paul will be bound and handed over in Jerusalem. You know, there's... In my opinion, there's something a little bit naive uh, about the belief, especially in Baptist land, the belief that if we just work hard enough together, we will inevitably come to a consensus about what the Spirit is saying. After all, it's the same Spirit that's at work within each of us, right? Of course, it is the same Spirit that's at work within each of us. But personally, I think uh, that belief that everything will just iron out in the end... Everyone will just come to agreement on what the Spirit is saying. I think it's misguided because I think it fails to take into consideration the very real influence that our own minds and our own hearts can have in the discernment process. I said quite a few weeks back now that uh, my discernment process is similar to uh, the one that Paul and his friends followed uh, in their call to Macedonia. It involves three steps. It involves evaluating what doors God is opening and closing... It involves not only reflecting on the circumstances, so not just the doors opening and closing, but also uh, rationally reflecting on what seems right. You know, sometimes something can seem like an open door, but as we consider it through our rational faculties before the Lord, you know, we can see that that's probably not the right way to go. God has given us a reasoning capacity, and I think he wants us to be able to say, as we hear Paul say in Acts 15, 28, that it seems good to me and to the Holy Spirit to do this or that. There's rational faculties involved in the process. And then the third uh, step in the discernment process is reflecting within community on all of this. And so sharing what you sense with your trusted friends and with your trusted mentors. You know, these are the doors that I feel like are opening and closing. This is what seems good to me and to the Holy Spirit. What do you think? And so it's a good process, sounds great, but the reality is... It's actually pretty difficult. It can be challenging at times to follow that process because if you've got friends of of good, honest character, at times they will disagree with you. And so I suspect that's kind of what we see at play here. I think Paul did have a sense that the Holy Spirit told him to go to Jerusalem. I think the local believers in Tyre also had a sense that the Holy Spirit was saying, don't go to Jerusalem. 
Why? Well, because that's just what happens in corporate discernment. It happens all the time. Like I said, I feel confident that the Holy Spirit is leading me to finish up uh, at Outlook today, but the reality is that during the discernment process, not all of my trusted friends and mentors were in agreement on that. You know, one person in particular who I hold in very high regard said, are you sure? Are you sure that's what God's telling you to do? And we didn't go so far as to say, well, I think the Holy Spirit's saying you shouldn't do that. But I think that's what he meant to some degree. And that was really challenging because he's a very mature believer. He's someone who's very attuned to the Holy Spirit. He's someone who has immense wisdom and spiritual understanding. The truth is it's, it's challenging. It's challenging to discern the will of God within a community. Because the whole process of hearing from the Holy Spirit is inevitably subjective. It's very hard to claim, thus says the Lord, in the day and age in which we live, because inevitably someone will say, well, I think the Holy Spirit says differently. And so I think that's what we have going on in the passage today. I think what Luke records is accurate. Luke, we know, is very keen to record events accurately. And so Paul, he did hear from the Spirit. He, he did hear the Spirit say one thing. The believers in Tyre, they heard the Spirit say another. And the truth is, somebody's not hearing correctly. And I know that's, that's, that's not going to sit well with everybody. I know it's not going to sit well with everyone because it doesn't sit well with all of the uh, translators or the commentators that I read either. They make all sorts of funny hoop jumps to make it seem like both these things are true. And I get that. You know, they're worried. They're worried about... They're worried that saying, well, somebody's got it wrong, they, write, they worry that is writing too close to the line of questioning the inerrancy of Scripture. But I just don't think that's the case. I do think Scripture is inerrant, but I, I also believe Scripture presents events as they really happen. And in my experience, this is exactly how it goes. Sometimes you believe the Spirit's saying one thing, others believe He's saying another thing, and so you're at an impasse. That is the inevitable challenge of discerning the will of God in community. But of course, with great challenge comes great opportunity. Because this challenge of discerning God's will in community has benefits associated with it as well. It forces us, for starters, it forces us to continually reevaluate, to rediscern to double, triple, quadruple check what we believe God is saying. And really, that can only be a benefit to us in the long run. You know, it's not recorded for us in the passage, but I'm sure that Paul, when he heard what these believers in Tyre were saying, provided he trusted them, he trusted their wisdom, well, it would have caused him to take stock and to think again, to reflect again, to go back to God and to check, is this right? And so that's what happened when, with me and my friend when he said, are you sure? My response was, of course I'm not sure. I know I'm a fallen person. I know I can mishear God easily. All of us can. I can misinterpret the doors that are opening and closing. I can allow my own influence to uh, influence what I believe God is saying, my own will rather, to influence what I believe God is saying. But of course the benefit of that friend challenging me was that it sent me back to God for more discernment. Went back to the evaluation process checking the doors that are opening and closing, evaluating the circumstances from a rational perspective, giftings, callings, capacity, these sorts of things. And again, I spoke to trusted mentors. And of course, in the end, I decided it was God's will for me to resign. 
Now, for Paul, he heard from God way back in chapter 19. He's challenged about what he heard here in uh, 21 verse 4. And then he hears again the warnings that he knows about that are coming for him in Jerusalem in verse 11. Let's read it together again. It says, He came over, he took Paul's belt, he bound his own feet and hands with it, and then he said, The Holy Spirit declares, So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. And so, of course, in this case, uh, it's not, he's not saying the Spirit is saying you shouldn't do it, you shouldn't go there. Instead, he's saying the Spirit, or he's reiterating, really, what Paul already knows from the events we read about in Acts 20, verses 22 to 23. It said there, and now I am, this is Paul speaking, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city, the jail and suffering lie ahead. So there's some benefits to discernment in community, the first being that it causes us to go back again to double-check, triple-check what it is that God is saying, and that's going to be a good thing, because in the end it'll, it'll help us to either be sure that we know what God's saying, or it will help us to realise that we have avoided making a mistake. So it's a win-win, we do it that way. But there's another benefit that we see in this reminder from the Spirit through Agabus, which is that God will often remind us of the magnitude of the choices that we're making through discernment in community. My personal mentor, when I first told him that I was burnt out, I first told him I was thinking about resigning, he said, but Brent, you love that church. Which is true. I do love Outlook. I have loved my time here at Outlook. But rather than this representing a challenge to what I believe God was saying, this represented a reminder of what was actually at stake for me. It was a reminder to be absolutely sure that this is what God would have me do, because what's at stake is significant. This represents the death of a dream, more than 10 years in the making for me, and it represents losing a role in a beautiful community of God that I love. But in the end, I had to, and we have to, be willing to submit to the will of God no matter what. We see this happen in verse 13 onwards in our passage for today. Paul finally responds to these well-meaning people, wanting to warn him about the dangers that are ahead, those asking him not to go. He says, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And it was, when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, well, the Lord's will be done. Now this is where my little comparison starts to fall over a little bit here because I don't expect that there's going to be weeping uh, just because I'm going to find a new job. Nor is my situation of transition really anything like Paul's circumstances. Paul faces certain death. Although my, if you ask my mum, she might say that I also face certain death because I'm going back to being an electrician. Which, but that's not, it's not the same thing. She thinks it is, it's not. But if there is one encouragement that I can leave with us at the end of my time here at Outlook, it's this one, the Lord's will be done. You know, and the reality is it doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter that we don't know who the next pastor is going to be at Outlook, it doesn't matter how flawed that person's going to be, because they are going to be flawed. You know, you're saying goodbye to one deeply flawed individual, you're going to welcome in another deeply flawed in individual soon. But in the end, I would encourage you all to welcome that person with love and with grace and with understanding. 
I'd encourage you to recognise that they are just responding to what they believe God is calling them to do in coming to serve in this community. And so that's my prayer for this community, is that the Lord's will be done. May it be done in the pastoral search process. May it be done in the church. And may it be done in the community through uh, the witness of Outlook, the ministry of Outlook. I pray many people in Toowoomba and beyond would become fully devoted followers of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through this fellowship. Hey, technically my three-month notice period finishes next Sunday, uh, but the board, I've, I've asked the board to give me a lead pass to, continue, uh, to conclude in my ministry uh, this Sunday instead, because I felt it was fitting that we would share in the Lord's Supper and communion together one last time. And so hopefully you've received some communion elements on your way in. If you haven't, you can put your hand up and somebody will bring you some. Although I, th- I think we only have seven left, so if there's more than seven hands, it's going to be bad luck. While that's happening, let's take the plastic things off because they're so noisy and distracting. So if you don't know how this works, take the first plastic layer off, take the wafer out, take the second one off and then you can access the juice. And so as we celebrate communion together, we remember Jesus' death. We remember that the bread represents Jesus' body broken for us and the blood represents, uh, the cup represents the blood through which, uh, which was shed so that we could be saved. Now, the word communion is not actually in the Bible. It comes from another Greek word, which uh, it's a word for fellowship. The word is koinonia. And this word, it speaks of an intimate bond. It speaks of a special unity that Christians share around the truth of the gospel message. It's a word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 13, 13 to 14, which says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so as I finish up today, as I finish up with my ministry here at Outlook, we share in the cup of fellowship One more time together, this is my prayer for you, that may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the koinonia, the the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So let's eat together in fellowship with one another. And let's drink of the cup, remembering the unity that we share, believers in Christ. Let's pray together. God, I give you thanks for this community at Outlook, the church that you have called Outlook to be, Lord. We recognise that it doesn't matter what happens between who's the leader of the church, who's uh, the pastor at any given moment, Lord. We remember that this is your church, that you're in charge. Lord, as we looked at your word this morning, we remember that discernment in community can be challenging, can be difficult. 
but remember it comes with great opportunities for us as well, opportunities to be brought back before your throne, opportunities to remember the magnitude of the decisions we make before you, Lord, but we pray, I pray, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done in this church. God, I give you thanks for Outlook. I thank you for the time that we've been able to spend together. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless this church as it goes forward. Continue to grow this church as they reach out to those who do not know Jesus. And might you make fully devoted followers of Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray through the ministry of Outlook. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you.